So we're in the David series. I'm going to cover quickly what we've done because it's part of this process of building something. So why are we doing this? Because David is a witness and a model. I'm just going to that somewhere else because it's blown on the mic. Is, um, so the, it's David is a witness and a model and uh, for us as people to follow, and he's a man after God's own heart. And so God's calling us, as Jeremiah 3.15 says, he's calling us as shepherds, each one of us, to be shepherds that are after God's own heart, just like David was, and who feed others with the knowledge and with the understanding of who God is. And the fact is that only happens when we understand and have a revelation of the goodness of God towards us, that we serve a good God, and that He delights in us and He delights in others. And the fact is, is that when we become students of God's beauty and of His emotions, that's part of the journey which takes us to that place. The second thing that I shared was the fact that what we do is um, when we're in that place where we are trying to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, remember David, remember what happened, and I'm going to recount it very quickly. He gets anointed as king, gets put into the palace. He becomes this amazing worshiper and worship leader, but he also becomes this amazing warrior. And then what happens is the 94.7 top 100 most downloaded uh, song on, on iTunes is Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. So Saul gets miffed off and jealous and tries to kill David. David runs for his life, lands up with his own people in a village, and he realizes that these guys are probably not going to protect him if Saul comes looking for him. So he asks God, will these guys protect me and hide me? God says, no chance. You better run. So he runs and he goes into enemy, ter- enemy. There we go again. Enemy territory. Yeah, I know. I did it as well. There's well. obviously something in there. And um, finding Nemo. And uh, the point is, is what happens is, is he, he lands up in the place that he's killed Goliath not many years before that. And now he's living amongst these people. The king gives him a city, a village called Ziklag. He fights with the Philistines. He, not against uh, Israel, but against common enemies of Israel and of, uh, of, um, of the Philistines. And then what happens is, is the, they're about to go in this massive battle against Israel. And the commanders of the Philistine army say, we're not going to fight with this guy. So you either, king, you either toss him or we're not going in. So they, they reject him. So he even gets rejected by the enemy. So you know in a bad place when Satan even rejects you. And now he's walking back to, to Ziklag, three days' walk. You can imagine how tiring that is with all their swords and armor and everything else. They get back and they see the smoke in the distance, and they, obviously they think. It's like this morning, I get a call. As I, I arrived here early, I was going to pick up some kids, and it didn't happen, but got here early and put the stuff, and I get this call from Matrix saying, uh, we've just got a notification of an impact in your H1 vehicle. Now, I know Louise is coming to church behind me. <gasps> The smoke, you think, what is going on? So I just rushed out, got in my car, and drove back home to see what had happened because I couldn't get hold of Louise because she never has her phone on. Sorry, did I say that out loud? And, um, but it's those moments. It's the moment with, you know, a young child stop, stop breathing. When Tatum stops breathing, what do you, <gasps> no, this can't be true. And, and you see the smoke in the distance, and he arrives there, and his wives and children are gone. Everyone else is gone. It's ransacked. It's burned to the ground. And now his own men, these 600 men that he were rejects of society, the depressed of society, the ones who had no place in society, who he's discipled and brought up and made warriors, now want to kill him. And they weep until they have no more energy left or strength, as the Bible says. So he has David in a place where everything has gone wrong. And what I've tried to do is to try to say, well, David then 
withdrew and strengthened himself in the Lord. What does that mean? Because it's like this one line and then all of a sudden he gets up and they go and reclaim what's theirs. And I think it's something in the church today that is so lacking that we don't strengthen ourselves in the Lord because there's sometimes God stops prophetic words coming from people, stops kind of the support around you, and it's just you and him. And we, we, we need to be, have the ability to step into that. And the problem is we, can, we can't just do that when the moments come. We need to be doing that as a lifestyle. And so what I've done is I've, got, I've gone through and I've, I've read stuff on, you know, online and, and other guys who've talked about this and Bill Johnson in particular and I've said, God, what does it look like strengthening yourself in the Lord? Because it's not explicit in that, in that moment. But David's heart and emotions are expressed in the Psalms. And so I've gone to the Psalms and I've checked out what David did. And so part of this pro process was he recounted the testimonies, what he had seen to strengthen himself in God. What he did was he also looked at the promises, the things unseen, and said, God, this is what you've spoken over my life. These are the prophetic words you've got. And in that moment, he must have been recounting this. It's been 13 years, Lord, since you anointed me. God, I've got nothing left, and it looks like I'm not going to make the next 24 hours. But God, you said, and God, you have done. Because when you recount the testimonies, that's why we're giving place for testimonies. Faith rises, and our expectation rises for God to do the same thing in each one of our lives. Then what I did last week is I looked at Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. <coughs> And then go and bless God in worship. It's that process that Rose spoke of, the temple. We enter the gates of the temple. We start to praise as we go into the inner court. And then we move into a place of intimacy with God. Because why? Because thanks is a response to the works of God, what he's done in our lives. Praise is to praise and respond to the nature of who God is. And ultimately, worship is a response to the presence of God. And so we went through this process and I looked at thanks last week and I looked at the fact that when we are thankful, it instills within us a humility. And on two levels, one, a dependence on the testimony. So it, it links up with the testimony because we go, God, we are so dependent on you. <laughs> because look at what you've done. And without you, I, I, there's no ways what we heard the testimonies this morning. With all across the board, God, like Peter's testimony, without God intervening there, without us praying, without us praying with Tatum, who knows what the outcome would have been. And there's an awareness of what God has promised and an understanding that God is sovereign over all things. And I said last week, God is not in control over every aspect of your life, but he's in charge. And are we going to the one who is in charge, despite the fact that some things happen to us? That's just about life. Then what, what was amazing for me when I found this was there's a text in Timothy that talks about the fact that when we come with thankfulness, and it's talking about food, food that has been uh, set aside for idols and has kind of an evil thing over it, when we come with thankfulness, it sanctifies that food, and we're able to eat it. And without going into all that context you can listen to last week, the point that I'm trying to make is when we have these circumstances, when David's in those circumstances, and when we set apart those circumstances before God, and we, we are thankful in that, what we do is we set that apart. Because remember, in the temple, when something was sanctified, when it was consecrated, it was set aside for the use in that temple for the rest of its use, useful life. We do that when we come to Christ. We are set apart by the blood of the Lamb, when we are sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb, and we are set apart there. So when we come with those circumstances and we set them apart for God, the very thing that the enemy used to take us off our purpose becomes a strength and a weapon in our hand to come against the enemy. And actually move us further into the purposes, which is exactly what David what happened with David. And he was on the throne with, within a week, after 13 years. And so I've said, maybe you're in circumstances. 
I've had circumstances over my life, and I'm going, God, what is happening? I don't understand it. But when we operate in thankfulness, God takes us into those things. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. We can be thankful, but not necessarily praise God. What am I saying? We can thank God for the works like we did this morning. But do we honor him as the one who's done it? In other words, we honor his nature. Because praise is to respond to who he is. So if I get healed, I can say, thank you, God, for my healing. But do we move into a place of praise where we honor him as the healer? Does that make sense? And maybe we haven't been healed. But we continue to praise him because he is the healer. And that's what God has called us to be, is a people that do that. I love the fact that one of our values of this church is that we want to honor God for God, not for what he gives us. You know, Israel, it says in Psalm 103, he made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to Israel. Israel thanked God for all of what God had done. But they never moved into a place of intimacy and relationship of the good, good father that he is. They come out of Egypt, open Red Sea, manna from heaven. They are thankful. In some cases, they weren't thankful. But they were largely thankful. But they never encountered God and his nature. So never moved into a place of praise. Isn't it amazing? And I was watching last night. And hey, the Lions are playing amazing rugby. That's what I want to say. Actually, it helps, makes me want to support them. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah, Fafta Clay gets his prize and he, of man of the match, and he goes, yeah, and I want to thank God. And it's, what's amazing, he says, and, yeah, we've spent a lot of time this week in prayer. Did you hear that? And uh, that's great, and I want to honor that. But how about the losing captain coming up and saying the same thing? We don't hear that, do we? So we're thankful when things are going well. God. But sometimes things aren't going well. Are we still thankful? And are we still willing to praise God for who he is, despite the fact that things are not going according to the plan? Because here's the thing about thankfulness, is that the acts of God will not keep us convinced of his goodness. Israel come out of, the, out of Egypt into the wilderness. They're thankful for what God has done, but that doesn't sustain their faith in God's goodness. And that's why they trip up and they don't actually move in. Because it's actually the revelation of who God is and his nature that sustains us, that gives us courage, and that moves us and gives us a security and a stability. Because Moses was the one who wasn't content with the, just thanking God for his works. He wanted to be in the presence of God. And so he says to Israel, come. And you can go read the stories in Chronicles and in Numbers. He says, come, let's go. And they go, whoa, no, no, you go. <laughs> We're happy that you go into the cloud of God's presence, but we'll stay here. We'll be, we're happy to stand back. And as, as, as a church, we often do that. We stand back. We're happy to stand back and go, hey, Pete, <laughs> it's brilliant to hear what God did. And, hey, bro, well done. That was, that was brilliant. Uh, and keep going and saying, we're happy to thank God for what he's doing in other people's lives. And maybe even in my own lives. But do we step in like Moses and know the ways of God, know the heart of God like David did? Or are we the spectators? And when we are the spectators, we miss out on finding and seeing the heart of God and experientially knowing Him. 
See, what praise does is it sees the nature of God in every single act that it performs and it responds accordingly. So, one of the things about what this whole process does is it reveals Jesus to the world. Because Jesus says, I came to the earth to reveal my Father to you. And now I'm sending you to reveal me to the world. So when we follow this process of thankfulness, we reveal Jesus to the world. But praise must be, the primary purpose of praise must be to minister to God first and foremost. If you remember in one of the first parts of the series, I said, God called David to himself first. And when we are called to God to himself first and we minister from that place, it's from that place that there's an overflow that we minister to each other. Who loves fresh bread? And the smell of fresh bread is just like overwhelming sometimes, eh? Especially it's that, I mean, we all know it. It's got that taste, and it, it tastes different when it's warm, when it's just come out the oven. Yeah, with rolls and the, yeah, lots of butter. And, you know, there's, there's a smell and a, and a taste to fresh bread. And we all know what fresh bread tastes like. So from a spiritual sense, you know on a Sunday whether I've come to deliver fresh bread. Because who's tasted stale bread? Well, the difference between fresh bread and stale bread are remarkably different, aren't they? And, and, and have a remarkably different response. And the point is, is, are we going before God, ministering to God in praise, according to who He is, first and foremost, and being priests and ministers to Him, so that when we flow into other people's lives, it's fresh bread? Or what are we giving people, our kids? Is it the, the dry stale bread that we've just spoken of. Here's the thing, is that often it's a challenge to praise because our, our flesh doesn't want to do this. It's a, right now, God, I'm not thankful. God, right now, I don't like who you are and I'm not going to stand here and praise because it's, it's hypocritical. It's not hypocritical. Like I said last week, if we're going to operate out of a place of feeling, we're going to miss the boat. The kingdom way is to act and allow your feelings to follow thing is, is that what praise does is when you're in that cloud of depression and oppression, that's probably why praise, when we do praise, when we give a sacrifice of praise, that thing lifts and God takes us in and does something in our hearts that uh, is beyond everything else. And David understood this because in Psalm 42, he says, why my soul are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. So David is telling his soul, listen, buddy. I know you're feeling down. I know you're feeling overwhelmed. I know the circumstances. Your wives and your children are gone. The, the city is, is, is obliterated. Your mates are, and your disciples are wanting to kill you. You've been rejected by all of this. Oh my God. My God. My soul is downcast within me. But I will put my hope in you, as Brian said just now. And I will yet praise you, my Savior and my God. And all of a sudden, that cloud lifts. And you're able to see the, pers the, the perspective of heaven. And what David does is he speaks to his soul so that his mind and his thoughts and his emotions and his body follow suit. Oh, we are people that are doing that because here is the fact, ladies and gentlemen, is Satan is empowered by your, by human agreement. Let me say that again. Satan is empowered by human agreement. So when we stand and we speak things over our country, when we gossip, when we slander other people, why do you think the Bible says the kingdom of God is not available to gossipers and slanders. Because what we're doing is we're making agreement with, heaven, with, with uh, the enemy. 
We make an agreement that this, we are giving the rights for Satan to come kill, to devour, and to destroy. What are we saying with our mouths? What are we agreeing with? Oh, you know what? That person. Ian, you know what he did? Whether he did it or not, slander. If he did do it, gossip. What we're doing is we're agreeing with heaven. The propaganda in the media agrees with the enemy and gives him right to do what he's doing. I loved what, um, I can't remember his name, said they will no longer broadcast any acts of violence. Because it instills, because now what happens, he says, when the cameras come out, then the guys go ballistic. I love the fact that that's something that our leaders are starting to instill within, this, uh, within our country. Remember what I said last week? If there is no hope in a context in your life, you are believing a lie. Because hope comes from a God who is all hope. And so when we understand the nature of God, we're able to deal with those lies and walk in the hope and the joy that comes, which I'm going to speak to you in a moment. And so what happens is praise breaks agreement with the enemy. Because it brings back the nature of God into the circumstances. Now, how does this work? Well, let me show you. Well, the word for repentance, because repentance is what breaks agreement. Because remember, how we come into salvation is we repent. Repentance means metanoia. The Greek word means to change the way we think. So when we come into a place of praise, what we're doing is we've, we've made agreement with the enemy because we, we downcast, we're not feeling, oh, oh God, what's this? Oh, my, my wives and children are gone. I'm seeing this place. I'm going to get killed. I'm not going to make it. You've spoken those things over me, but God, ah. And what we do is we start to praise and we start to focus on the nature of who God is. And when we do that, the truth of who he is comes and dispels the lie because the greater truth is in heaven and then heaven becomes manifest here on earth and I'm able to walk in it. The thing about this repentance thing is I've heard people stop there and they say metanoia means to change the way you think. And repentance means penthouse, to, to think the higher thoughts that God thinks of you. And that's all right, big tick. But repentance is not repentance until it results in a change of action. <laughs> and we always forget that. I say, I don't need to repent. No, of course you need to repent. Rest, repent from dead works. And repentance is to change the way I'm thinking. No, God, that's who you are. The lie I've believed, come and restore that in my heart. But then I walk out in obedience and I actually take the step towards the thing that God's talking about. You can't just change the way you think and not. Now, I had a, my ex-boss, Trevor, um, and he's come to the church a few times. I remember when I was working for him, there was a, a, a person in, the, in, our, in our group, it was corporate tax and at Deloitte, who, who, who left our employee and had gone down to Cape Town or wherever it was. I can't remember, but it was... Was, was down out, out of South Africa, well, out, sorry, out of Johannesburg. And I, like about six months later, and Trevor said, have you called this person? Because he was very good at that. He's kept contact with all of his staff, even those who don't work for him anymore. And um, I said, no, I just I haven't had the time. I never forgot what he said to me. He said, well, Gary, if it was important enough, you would have made the time. And I think we're all like that, aren't we? And in the same way, if it's important enough... I can say all I want about my mind, oh, yeah, God is good, eh? God is good all the time. God is good. But if I don't step out and actually do the thing that I said I would do, 
No, because obedience is about doing what you believe in your heart to do. And so when I didn't call this person, it wasn't because I didn't have time. It's because I didn't really think it was important. Are we the same when it comes to God? Because guess what? Physical obedience brings spiritual obedience. We always think it's the other way around, don't we? We think, well, no, there's a lack of authenticity that right now I don't feel like praising. If I praise, it's, going to be not, it's not going to be authentic. No, but guess what? When you lift your hands and you come as a sacrificial offering before God, the spiritual follows. Because the kingdom, again, is not about thoughts and about feelings. It's about action. Violent men take it by force. Okay, God, I know I'm in this place. I know there's a cloud of depression. I know, God, it looks like I'm not going to make the next 24 hours because my men are going to kill me. But God, I lift my hands to you and I worship you because you are great. You are the lifter of my head. You are the one that comes and sustains me. You are my protector. You are the one who's spoken those things. I want to remind you of it. Not that you need reminding. I need to remind you. But God, won't you take me in to the things that you've spoken of over my life? So right actions, release right thinking, release the right, release the right emotions. And that's what David understood. So the next thing that happens so you can see out of this, the first thing that comes from praise is to minister to God. The second thing that comes is that rejoicing comes. Because praising God and going, Woohoo! Love you, Lord. Shop. What do they say? We praise like this. We carry the TV. White screen. Touchdown. Whatever the thing might be. But there's no real expression. There's not real kind of exuberance in our... Here's the thing about joy, is it's the primary expression of the kingdom. Because Romans 14.7, we know the scripture so well, for the kingdom of God is not about matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus even commands us to rejoice. Paul in his letters in Philippians says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I'm quite an intense oak. I struggle with this. And yet it says, it's a command. Now again, I'm giving you my Greek studies. Is it's an imperative. An imperative is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not in the subjunctive mood. It's in the imperative mood. It's saying, rejoice. And the thing is, it's not about going, tell your face that you need to be happy. No, it's, what it is, it's, it's a pursuit of God who is the God of joy. Why? Because as I said earlier this morning, Zephaniah 3.17, God delights in us and he spins around and sings over us. That, that whole thing of he literally dances and sings over us. So what we are doing is we are replicating the image of God when we allow the joy of the Lord to rise up within us. And that's why Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8 verse 10. Why would he say that? Because the context was they're building the walls of Jerusalem. They're all coming back from captivity. Everybody's low and feeling, ah, they're building walls and they've got swords in their hands. And, you know, I don't know how they did that. Build with one hand and a sword in the other in case the enemies come. But that's what the Bible says. Ezra says, come. He's the teacher and priest. Come, guys. Let's read the word of God over you guys. He starts to read the word. Him and Nehemiah start to teach and bring understanding. And the people begin to weep and fall on their faces. Nehemiah gets up and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Ladies and gentlemen, why do we do that? Why has the church moment become the somber, weeping moment? We whisper to each other because we're going to offend God. When God is the one who delights in us and dances over us and sings over us and spins over us. And in that moment, he's going, and in our moment, Jesus Christ died for us. There's a scandal of the gospel. There's the good news 
that we should not be weeping and mourning, but it's a time to celebrate. So Israel, get up. Let's go and have a festival. Let's go and have a feast, and let's dance and be joyful and rejoice in the Lord. Where did the church ever get that when we get together, we've got to be home? Let me show you this video, Dad, the, the laughing one. This was F6 first. This is going to be worth it, I promise. F6. Maybe not, maybe not. But <laughs> okay, maybe before you start it, this is a lady. This thing went viral. I think it's up to almost 200 million views across the world. And if you haven't seen it, this is a lady who goes into a store to buy some clothes and finds this Chewbacca from Star Wars mask. Why do you think, I mean, the last count was 130, 140, 150 million views. Why? This world needs to laugh more. It's, there's a joy that comes. Now, this lady leads worship in her church. Seriously. She's been on the late, or the, 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 the big shows, you know, Jay Leno shows or whatever those shows are. Maybe it's not Jay Leno or whatever. And she's basically giving testimony about the joy of the Lord in her life over a simple mask. Now, we're okay with her laughing with a Chewbacca mask on it, but now somebody in church laughs. Come on. And yet we can see that there's a joy of the Lord, that when there's a joy that rises, there's a strength from heaven that manifests itself here on earth in our circumstances and helps us walk through that and gives us the grace and the courage to walk through what we're facing. You know, sometimes we say, oh, just, that's not my personality. Well, guess what you're doing? Do you think God would make you a new creation and not give you the ability to experience that joy and to laugh like that. And when we don't, we actually rob ourselves of the new creation God's given to us in our own hearts. See, David understood this because his praise was extravagant. I will be glad and rejoice to you, he says in Psalm 9 verse 2. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. David was so hungry for God's presence that he danced with all his might right down to his underwear. He danced so hard that his clothes fell off. <laughs> he understood in that moment that when the presence of God was coming back with the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, it would not be held on ministries, but on ministers, on priests, you and me. We carry the presence of God into its location, like Louis said this morning, like Rose said, on our shoulders, on our praises. And it's not dependent on man. And what happens then is there's a supernatural intervention that happens that far exceeds anything that any encouragement can come from any person to you. Let me show you one of my favorite videos of my daughter in our devotional time. My little Ella Bella. Dad, won't you show it? Wait, you've seen nothing yet.
her mom taught her all of those things. Yeah. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that there's, a, there's an extravagance of worship that God's called us to. That we so are reserved, and yet we can have a lady buying a Chewbacca mask, and we get a reaction like that, or we go to a rugby game, and we see our team win, and we've seen their reaction. And if you've ever seen my reaction, or others in this room, I've seen your reaction when your team scores a try. But when it comes to God, we're very reserved. And I'm not forcing it on you. All I'm saying to you is, is that praise has a cost to it. There's a cost in terms of my comfort. There's a cost in terms of my time and my convenience. There's a cost in terms of my focus because who am I focusing on? In that moment of praise, I'm focusing on who God is, not my problem. And what happens is, is that often it requires faith because the last thing I feel like doing is praising you, God. These men are about to kill me. My wife and children are gone. Everybody's rejected me. I'm going to need to eat some worms because nobody loves me. And what happens in that moment is when we praise, we acknowledge the goodness and the faithfulness of God that those things are a higher truth than the circumstances we find ourselves in. And what that does, it moves our focus from ourselves and it's the right thing because we are not the point. God is the point. And it moves us back to our primary purpose to be ministers of God. And joy rises within our hearts and we are transformed. And then the last thing here is the result of praise. What do you think the result of praise is? Well, David says in Psalm 22, But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And Isaiah picks this up and he says, Sing to the Lord a new song, and praise and his praise from the ends of the earth. Let them give him glory to the Lord, verse 12, and declare his praises over the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. See, some praise needs to come, ha, not... My Lord, we shall prevail, he shall prevail against our enemies. So what happens is, is when Israel lifted up their praise, when Moses' arms were worshiping and praising God, they overcame. God goes out on our behalf when we are praising and smashes the enemies that are coming against us. And here, if you take anything away from this morning, get ready for this. Open your phones, open your notepads, write this down. Why do you think God calls us to do this? Why? Because our praise demonstrates our trustworthiness for the breakthrough that we are crying out for. Our praise demonstrates our trustworthiness for the breakthrough that we are crying out for. Amazing, eh? Lastly, worship. So remember our process. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. Now we enter into a place, which remember what we were saying was thanksgiving and praise. Get us to that place where now we enter the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies. And guess what? It's no longer a sacrifice in terms of our bodily shouting, screaming, whether it's our mouths confessing thankfulness, all of that. We now become the sacrifice. We now become the offering. And we put ourselves into a place where we can put ourselves onto the altar. And guess what? When, when there is a sacrifice, fire falls. And the fire of God comes. And does what it needs to do because we experience God for who he is. And guess what happens in those moments? Remember the lady who comes to Jesus and anoints him with perfume. This alabaster jar was worth a year's wages. I mean, can you imagine that? I struggled to buy a Louise Tommy girl and it costs hundreds of rands. A year's wages. 
I mean, what would a year's wages be on the average salary here? A year's wages, guys. And she doesn't like open it and pour a little bit on. She breaks it. Do we come into the presence of God and break ourselves to give to him? Or do we come in and go, okay, God, you can have this, but this room in my heart, you're not allowed in. Or do we come and we, there's no turning back. We break it. And the most amazing thing that happens in that extravagance, because what did the disciples do? They became indignant, didn't they? They were indignant about the money that it cost for that perfume that she was just pouring out on Jesus. They were indignant about the fact that she was expressing so much emotion when she did that. And Jesus had a very different look on what was happening. And guess what happens? When we worship and praise God extravagantly, that aroma impacts everybody around us. And guess what? She came and anointed Jesus with that perfume, but she walked away with the perfume all over her. We cannot come into the presence of God and not be impacted by him. We come in broken. We come in being the sacrifice and the offering. But guess what it says in uh, Psalm 3 verse 3? But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. So we can come in, bow down low, and God says, No, my son, he lifts my head. And we walk out changed, transformed, with courage to face the circumstances that we may be facing. And there's a strength and there's a grace to walk through them. Here's the thing, that true worship is always going to look weird to those who are not involved. Why do I say that? Well, there's David dancing so hard that his clothes fall off and he's dancing with his undies. And his wife, Michael, Michael, however you want to pronounce her name, Michelle, Saul's daughter. It says there that the whole of Israel came out to watch, but she didn't. And she was also indignant about how David embarrassed himself by worshiping. And it says there, she was barren for the rest of her life. When we judge others' offering to God, we become spiritually barren. But he has the most amazing thing. Isaiah 53 says, Sing, O barren woman. So guess what happened? 54. So guess what happens? When we praise and when we worship, God gives us a fruitfulness and takes away our barrenness. And we're able to walk into what he has for us with fruit. Because you know what? The enemy is going to want to. He's going to want to overwhelm you with the size of your problems, with the size of the context that you find yourself in, with the hopelessness that we spoke of earlier, and with maybe your own fruitlessness. And sometimes I think, God, I'm a pastor of a church, and yet I, I just struggle to make headway with certain things in my life. The problem with introspection is, is it focuses on you. It focuses on your sin. It focuses on maybe you didn't repent properly. Luther was a, Martin Luther was an exact example of that. When he used to repent for his sins and then walk out the the church and realized, no, he, he actually didn't repent for the right motives and come back in and repent for the wrong motives of which he repented for and then realizing that he didn't really mean what he was saying and then had to go back to repent for not really meaning what he... We do that as, as believers. The problem is when we do that, we turn away from God's promises. We turn away from the nature of who God is. And we just become inward looking. And you're never going to find who you are looking at yourself. You're only going to find who you are when you look at him. Because he has something else if you want to write it down. Write this down as well. The second most important thing is that any time you review events of your past, apart from the blood of Jesus, 
you're visiting a lie. Because guess what? That reality no longer exists and has been redefined. Let me say that again. Anytime you review the events of the past, apart from the blood of Jesus, you are visiting a lie because those events have been redefined by the blood of Jesus and are no longer your reality. True story, as Louise says. So thanksgiving and praise puts an anchor or a standard or what I have here, a stake in the ground, that I'm not going there with the enemy. And that's what it does. It says I'm going to be a living sacrifice because ultimately what David did was he strengthened himself in the Lord and he overcame that moment and went on to become the greatest king. And more than that, Jesus came as a descendant from his line. So ladies and gentlemen, I want to say to you, let's become a community that's known for the ability to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, to recount the testimonies of God, to declare his promises over us. And so if I go back to my, my little thingy here, that we are a people who come in with thanks and praise and we worship our God with humility and allow the awareness of God, the dependence of God to, to overflood us. And then when we move into this place of praise, we minister to God First and foremost, we allow joy to rise up so the joy of heaven becomes our strength here on earth. That the result of all of what we're doing is that God goes and wars on our behalf. That we become the sacrifices. We come into his presence. And that we get, even though we are giving. And ultimately, it breaks a barrenness and a fruitlessness in our lives. And we become a people who are fruitful. Because why? Because we come into the presence of God and we become more like him. Does that make sense? Has this been helpful? I'll move on from the strengthening yourself into the Lord and to some other great events in David's life that we can learn from it.